Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. This episode is a conversation with Thano Lambrinos, Senior Vice President of Digital Buildings, Experiences, and Innovation at Quad Real Property Group. He's joined by Eddie Dimage, co-founder of Code Labs. We talked about Quad Real's smart building strategy generally, and then we took a deep dive into the concept of a building operating system and why Quad Real chose Code Labs to be theirs. This was a fascinating look at the next generation of software for buildings through the eyes of one of the leading building owners in our industry. Without further ado, please enjoy the Nexus podcast with Quadreal and Code Labs. Thano and Eddie, welcome to the show. Thano, can you introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Hey, everyone. My name is Thano Lambrinos. I am responsible for our digital buildings customer experience and innovation practice at Quadrille Property Group. For those who aren't terribly familiar with the firm, we currently manage just over 60 billion, just over $61 billion uh, in assets, uh, a good majority of that being real estate split right now, about 50-50 between Canada, where I am uh, right now here in Toronto, across the country, as well as internationally throughout the US, in Europe, Asia, and Australia, and in other parts of the world. To give you some idea of the size of the organization from a real estate perspective, that 60-ish billion dollars translates into around 36 million square feet of office, around 9 million feet of retail, almost 90 million feet of industrial space, 53,000 residential units, and another 20,000 student housing units, and growing every day. I'm sure those numbers are out of date if they were even published this morning. So. 1,200 employees globally and responsible for the digital transformation strategy across the domestic, Canadian, and international portfolio. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. So what were you doing before Quadrio? Can you give us a little summary of your, your background? Yeah, for sure. I, I came from a non-traditional, my, my background is somewhat non-traditional and it's in how it came to be and land in, in real estate and technology. I actually came from the sub-trades. I worked in a, for electrical and mechanical contractors on the construction side and was exposed to technology through the public-private partnership model of building and deploying infrastructure here in Canada. We were building hospitals, building courthouses and rail systems and things of that nature. And the reason that technology really started for me at those projects was because the the government at the time, uh, Infrastructure Ontario, these other bodies, these other groups had what they called a PSOS or a project specific output specification that required what they or outlined what they wanted the building to do in a hospital environment, allowing the patient to have a bedside terminal that gave them health records, but also entertainment and also let them control the temperature and the blinds and the lighting in their room and call the nurses and things of that nature and pushed it down onto the consortiums to have them deliver it. So there was, you know, we're talking 2006, 2007, 2008, when this really started for me. And at the time, it was just a whole lot of identifying software solutions and various different companies that could come together and integrators that could 
they could make these solutions stand up. So from that introduction to it, left the trades and went into general contracting work for a large firm here in Canada and was working with some real estate customers, uh, Quadril being one of them. And they asked me to jump over the fence and, and run the digital strategy for them directly. Very cool. Eddie, who are you? Can you introduce yourself and, uh, and, and give us a little intro to code. Going on, James. Uh, thanks for having me. Daddy Demai, I'm one of the co-founders here at Code Labs. As far as what Code Labs is and, and what we do, uh, we're a smart building platform that helps normalize, integrate, normalize all building systems, including any IoT, you know, so it's not just core BMS, but it's any IoT or really any other system access, cameras, whatever it may be, integrating it into a single, single pane of glass to help visualize, control, and analyze using this holistic approach. So we're not stuck to any one area where we're you know, optimizing or doing any one thing based on just one, you know, one variable or two variables. The idea is that anything that has any means of communicating can be integrated into a platform that can normalize that data and then use it to enable a variety of different use cases across you know, in a scalable way across portfolios, not just, you know, one building or two buildings at a time. Cool. Great intro. So give me a little history on Code Labs. When did you guys start it and what's it, what's it grown up to today? So uh, Edgewood and I were the two co-founders here at Code Labs. We both were in, have been in and around real estate space for, for a while, really, I'd say our whole adult lives. Edgewood was on the integration side, you know, bringing building systems together that side of it. And I come from the connectivity side. Uh, I co-founded a company prior to Code Labs called Rocket Fiber, where we were top three fastest internet providers in North America for six years in a row. And what we did there is we essentially built that underlying infrastructure that enables you know, everything to live on top of, right? Um, we, we exited that in 2020, but 2017, Patrick and I were looking at the space and like I managed a bunch of real estate and we bought and, and, and done real estate development prior to that with Edgewood. We, we always felt like everything we did in and around real estate was just really manual, very expensive. And in particular with regard to like building integrations, nobody could quantify like the deliverables. It was always a, yeah, you could tie this, that, and the other. It would take, you know, 17 months to do cost millions of dollars. And then when you have to go to, ownership and actually tell them that, hey, like, this is a cool to have. What they want to know is, am I generating more revenue? Are you lowering my, you know, costs? Like, or is this just a nice to have kind of a thing? And for a long time, for us, it felt like it was one of those nice to have very hard things to pitch. And we thought we could do it better. So uh, we've been, we've started all the companies prior to this and in the software uh, space as well. So what we did is we said, hey, like, we have a team of people that have this variety of different experiences that if we could bring together, we could really build something cool that is a plug and play that I'm sure we'll get more into. So in 2017, late 2017, we started putting our team together with some key people and started building uh, this vision, this platform that you know started with us too, but really all the people that have been attached to it are, are just as much you know founding members of the company as, as Etchard and I are. And then they kind of took it over and then they've been building it and it's been an incredible ride since then. And we're now about 74 or five people and adding every day. So 
you know, not the numbers that Tana was talking about, but I, I you know, with 70 some people, I'm, I'm, I'm losing the numbers here by one or two every week, I feel. And doing business in, in all over US, uh, Canada, Australia, UK, and expanding around Europe as well now. Cool. Yeah, this podcast will come out in, in early 2022 and Quadril will have more buildings and you guys will have more employees, I'm sure. <laughs> so uh, this will be out of date when it's published. But the impetus for this conversation was Thana's uh, presentation at Realcom, which I, I very much enjoyed and uh, told him so uh, when we met. And uh, we thought might as well talk about it, unpack it a little bit more in the context of this software layer that you guys are adding on, Eddie. So why don't we start with what that, can you, can you give Thano an overview of the, the Quadrail smart building strategy to give people some context? Yeah, for sure. So we felt very early on that it was important to define what, to Eddie's point, what this promise of smart buildings was actually going to deliver us as a real estate owner operator and what promise it was going to deliver to our tenants. So we spent a bunch of time early on with various different stakeholders uh, across the business in leasing, in development, in construction, in property operations, in investment management and asset management uh, and sustainability to identify what was important to them and what their key business drivers were. And we came up with seven that we use as kind of the decision-making points for any digital projects or any use cases we look to stand up in the built environment. The seven are all around reducing costs and improving productivity, reducing energy consumption and lowering our carbon footprint, talking about healthy buildings and wellness, which is extremely important because it was always extremely important, but is now especially important because of COVID. You know, talking as, previous, as previously mentioned about reducing energy and carbon, we've got some very ambitious net zero targets, as many do now, that, that we look and hope to realize, uh, the reduction of risk, both operational and cyber risk, and the differentiation uh, of experiences for the user being one of the more critical ones, as well as the opportunity to change the business model a bit and leverage technology to find new revenue streams. So, so those were the drivers that we got started with. And from there, we developed what we needed to develop in order to implement in a repeatable and a scalable way. And that is what we call our digital building playbook. So these playbooks contain all of those aspirational use cases and user journeys, but also we've gone a step deeper and have actually written specifications and requirements of all of the technologies that are going to be required in the built form uh, whether operational back of house or whether front of house customer facing to deliver on all of those use cases all the way through to uh, standing up and commissioning. And there's an audit trail back from the use cases through the specifications, the deployment of those specifications and the implementation of those specifications. We needed to do this because the current construction methodology, the current methodology of retrofitting buildings is not conducive to the economic deploy economical deployment of technology in the built environment. So by doing this, we've created a, a repeatable and standardized playbook that allows us to do these things at scale at a cost that we're able to deliver them at. The next layer, if we look at it as a series of layers and probably the foundational layer is one of connectivity. Uh, Eddie talked a little bit a moment ago about what he did at Rocket Fiber and how that was an enabling layer to everything that sat on top. So over the past 
call it 18 months or so through COVID even, we've deployed fiber infrastructure, converged building networks, and have integrated our systems, both from a, from a back of house and a front of house perspective at all of our commercial buildings across Canada. We've standardized it and are deploying it in all of our new developments, and we're looking at retrofitting in our other asset classes as well. So that foundation was critical to connect systems and to expose data uh, that we would then normalize, normalize with groups like Eddie's at Code to be able to surface it, visualize it, and be able to do more advanced analytics on. So from the foundational layer the next of connectivity, the next layer that was of critical importance was making the data available to us a bit more granular. So we started deploying a number of IoT sensors, primarily in the space of occupancy and people counting, because you know, we've had buildings for hundreds and hundreds of years, but for the longest time, we've had no idea how those buildings were actually used, how those spaces were used how people were traversing through the space and what they were using them for. So that was a key use case to, to integrate with HVAC and lighting systems for comfort and energy, but also to integrate with security systems for obvious reasons to understand where people are, to optimize for cleaning and just really understand how people are using our spaces so that we can design them better. In addition to that, there was a number of other IoT technologies we deployed, indoor environmental quality, which, as you know, is of critical importance, as I mentioned earlier, with the healthy buildings movement. Leak detection for loss reduction. Floods are the new fire, unfortunately, and we're seeing this, this get worse every day. So being able to mitigate those issues are of huge importance. Consumable reduction, things like waste and toilet paper and hand towels and hand sanitizer and things of that nature. So the less of it goes to the landfill, we use all of it and we uh, optimize the way that we clean and adding a layer of mobile access on top of all of our systems so that we create the credential. The phone is your credential. So that's the, the best way for you to access the space physically or virtually. A couple more things and then I'll stop rambling. But the, the layer on top of that, that before we get to code, I'll close out with our friends at code here. Uh, on top of that, that we built was our actually our own digital platform. So everyone talks about tenant engagement and tenant experience. We canvassed the entire market and realized that there were some good solutions out there, but they were pretty expensive. And when we looked at what we could do based on the scale that we had uh, and the cost it would take for us to build these solutions out and the fact that we could control our own roadmap and our own destiny, um, it became, became very appealing to start looking at doing this ourselves. We are not a software development house. All we've done is create a thin layer uh, that allows fantastic services like code and like food and beverage services and like other systems to appropriately integrate them in so that we can surface them to the customer in a unified way and then add over add on top some other functionality like event booking and and building information and communications and other things of that nature. So we created Quadreal Plus for ourselves which is now deployed across our commercial portfolio soon to be deployed across our residential portfolio as well. Uh, and also we've created a thin layer of workplace, digital workplace management that allows us to bridge the gap between landlord and tenant and enhance the services that we deliver uh, to our office tenants. So those are two bespoke kind of customized solutions we've created within Quadrille that we're utilizing on ourselves with our tenants and also with our joint venture partners. And last but not least, our friends at Code that are part of that top layer, kind of next to that customer platform layer, if you will, that allows us to bring in all of the uh, building system data 
visualize it, do command and control, eliminate a bunch of disparate head ends, save costs there, change the operating model, really look at the way that we operate our buildings and change that from a one building operator per 150,000 square feet. And maybe we can stretch that and maybe we can repurpose our people to manage larger portfolios if they're very highly technically skilled. This also allows us to surface other services to customers and overlay analytics and machine learning and AI to drive efficiencies, to drive cost reduction, but also drive the comfort and the health and wellness in the environment. So that was a, a long diatribe, but that kind of, in, at an, in a nutshell, gives you a sense of what we're doing here at Quadrail. The reason I like talking to you is because you, like we, the way that you just described that, like walking, like walked everyone through everything that could be like 12 hours worth of a podcast. And I feel like I got a really good overview just from the couple of minutes there. You started with a business case, then use cases, and then you're walking through infrastructure and then outcome, like or the actual technologies that sit on top of the infrastructure. And that aligns like so clearly with the way that we teach things in our, in our foundations course. So I appreciate that. I was, I was lucky enough to present to our board last week. And if I couldn't okay. distill the message and the strategy in 10 minutes, I'd have had a big problem. So, yeah. so that's a, that's a learned and practiced approach to, to describing digital and smart buildings to the real estate community. Totally. Well, we could probably do like an entire year's worth of Nexus podcasts on everything you just talked about, but we're going to zero in on just that one layer, which is do you guys call it, you guys call it integrated operations platform? Is that what you call, we call it? Our integrated about? building, integrated building management platform. Okay. Integrated building management platform, which is where code comes in. So Eddie, what is the, what does that mean to you? And I, I want to draw a parallel to the, the, this acronym that I see in the industry a lot today, which is building operating system. It's not my favorite. I really don't like it very much. Can we can we try to define out what this thing is? Like what what is what are you guys developing and what is a building operating system? It's not a very fair question, but we'll, we'll go for it. Oh, that's 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 fine. And I I couldn't agree more with you with regard to use of acronyms and, and different terminologies. I think I think Thano touched on it at IBGAN a little bit, but there's been a lot of talk about a lot of things for a long time. And the question now I think is what are we actually doing and can we see, touch it, feel it and actually like stand behind what it is that we're, you know, especially for us, you know, vendors that are pitching the, you know, quadrilles and streams and Oxfords and, you know, Catholic Fairview, whoever in the world can, like, can we see this thing? Right. Cause it's really easy to talk about use cases and so on. So, our approach and the reason we call our core, you know, platform Code OS, which is the operating system, is because our definition of an operating system is something that allows for others to pull from and do whatever it is that they need to do, but also offers all these different applications to enable whatever use cases you want. Quadril has seven. There are other clients that have other things that need done, it needs to have the flexibility to allow for all those things to happen. Our approach, again, the reason we've, you know, we haven't made a whole lot of noise until about 12, 14, 16 months ago is because we went out there and we were working with a bunch of different clients and getting our products deployed. And we wanted to be able to show versus just talk and, and, and you know, our, our, our approach to talking with 
even you know uh, potential clients or partners is always let's just jump right into an actual demo so you can see it, touch it, feel it, play with this thing versus you know going through presentation slides. It's just not you know we're talking about technology and yes we you know in 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 our industry I think it's taken a, a bit. I think we're we're getting there with you know uh, regard to like. We've had a lot of dreams, but like to actually bring them to life has been a bit challenging and or costly and or both. And our approach is that once we deploy, like you get a lot of companies that say, hey, we'd like to do a pilot. And, you know, our our answer to that is that's great. But how about like we do seven of them all at the same time and have your building turned around in the next 14 days, literally all seven of them, fully integrated, data normalized, give us whatever systems you have you now have a platform where you're not piloting one building, but you're piloting this across seven or 10 or whatever you want. And it always goes, what, like, how is that even possible? Our goal is not that you always use code labs to, you know, deploy our platform. Uh, quite literally before this call, uh, I was told that, I think Dana, one of your buildings, you have people that are now really deploying the platform on their own. The idea, so, so I need to go back to your, you know, beginning of this is, you know, it's, it's having a platform that could be taught that is simple enough to use and implement by anybody. It could be your partners that you've used in your portfolio forever, or it could be your building engineers, or it could be whoever is operating the building, your property management, whoever it may be, to have the ability to really take what's been deployed in one building and, and implement it across a whole portfolio by following a set of directions or talking to our plan experience team, plan success team, which I say is, is, is the, I, I, you know, of course I'm, I'm biased, but I think we have the, the best in class. Uh, and then last but not least, it's having internal to whoever owns this operating system that's being called, having a team that's structured in such a way where when we talk about, you know, you hear a lot of like, we do ML and AI, we do energy savings, we do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, let me just literally go on LinkedIn and look at the structure of your team and like you have to be able to like these things don't just happen by you know having you know one or two people that could kind of kind of talk and touch all these things. Um, so anyways, our approach has been if 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 we're pitching it, it needs to have a quantifiable return to an owner or a manager of a building or portfolio. It needs to like they need to be able to like see it, touch it, feel it in a scalable way and in a timely manner which helps you know, be able to deliver this, this cost-effective solution. So that's, that's our definition of an operating system. Okay. So you're like, let's not try to define it. Let's just do, a, do it and 100%. show you. Yeah, yeah. Like there's, there's okay. been a lot, again, like there's been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of talk and there, there still is a lot of talk. And I think there's some phenomenal companies that are doing some amazing things in the space. I think our co-founder Etchard actually said it in one of the other podcasts that like, you know, 2022 will be the year of partnerships. I think we'll see a lot of companies come together and partner. I actually realized that, look, like maybe we're not competing with you. You know, our view uh, at Code Labs is that we could work with anybody anywhere because the platform is built. Like if you, if you truly have an operating system, this, you should not, like, we shouldn't have to pitch Quadro on just like the one thing. Hey, they know, let me just, optimize your HVAC as an example. Like if that's all we're doing, then we're, we're out because maybe he has something he's using, but it's being able to provide this holistic view and also be able to use data from all these different variables 
which again has, has been talked about a lot. And I think there are some great optimization tools out there that optimize you know, one specific variable based on you know, one or two different data points. But to be able to take this holistic view, I mean, Thano touched on, it, uh, on a lot uh, a couple minutes ago here, but you know, enabling an amazing experience and driving energy efficiency and you know, reducing risk, like those things can actually all happen together because they happen in all other industries. You know, yeah. integrating an API is not rocket science. Like there are companies that are literally flying rockets to like different planets. Like integrating an API happens every day, all day, you know, nonstop. To do plug and play, once you integrate something, you shouldn't like that shouldn't be like from there on, like you should be able to go and install 75, 75 million access points or, or, or occupancy sensors or whatever you know, you're trying to install. And they should just come up like this happens in every other space except for our space, where it's just this crazy, complicated thing that people talk about. We are in we are in this to simplify it and make it quantifiable. That's it. So this concept is tough because it we're not to where we have like the operating system in buildings yet, like a Windows or you know Apple operating system yet. But do we have people? Code OS. Well, so yeah. <laughs> That's why I wanted to talk to you guys about it. So, but hear me out. So this is where we've been in the industry so far is we have a bunch of people talking about operating systems, but I think the subtext is that we're not quite there yet or, or what they were referring to an operating system as was not like the operating system on your computer. Then you have companies that are like doing, like you said, energy, like I'm just gonna throw Lucid, now Atrius under the bus. They have the building OS, right? That's their patented name for their software, but it's energy bench, it's utility bill benchmarking, right? That's not an operating system for a building. So what, what I'm hearing from you, like if we try to define it and I'm always like trying to define acronyms for the industry, but like you're, you're connecting to all the siloed base building systems, it sounds like two-way communication between them. You're not just doing that in one building, it's a portfolio approach. So site level systems like Niagara, for instance, it, that this differentiates that this from that, basically like, you know, this is a cloud-based, cloud-first portfolio level approach. And it's built on providing applications for different people to accomplish different things, it sounds like. So it's not just it's not just throw all of your data onto a dashboard and say, good luck. It sounds like it's beyond taking beyond that and actually integrating the data and the control capabilities into people's actual workflows. I think what was important. Yeah. I think what was important for us as we looked at this, James, is to your point, it, it, it couldn't even just be base building systems. We needed more than that, right? We needed the ability to integrate all of the different IoT sensors that we were deploying. We haven't done this yet, admittedly, but very soon we'll start to look at enterprise solutions and bringing in various different enterprise solutions into the fold and seeing you know, what data points from our, whether it's leasing systems or financial systems or you know, HR systems or what have you that could be relevant in here as well. So we really needed a layer that was, to, as you mentioned, could provide two-way communication, command and control, but also could bring in sources of data from anywhere make sure that it was repeatable and scalable to the point that I don't have to go to code every time we want to make changes. We can have our building operators. In fact, once we get all of these APIs stood up, 
they could maybe do the next building themselves if they really wanted to, right? So these are the types of, this is the type of flexibility that we're, that we specified and required in our documents when we first started doing RFPs in this space and where we befuddled much of the, much of the market because, you know, to your point their their definition of a building operating system was my operating system that you have to pay me X amount of dollars a year to use, but only I can really update it. And I kind of select the partners and the integrations. And if you want something, I'll let you know if we were going to put it on our roadmap or not, uh, and so on and so forth. So, so that was, that was the key bit for us is identifying a solution that would allow us to satisfy these things that we could deliver at scale at a cost that I could go to asset management and investment management and build a case and tell them what we were looking to accomplish. And when they looked at the figures, they were like, okay, that's a reasonable amount of money. We're not talking of about millions of dollars per building uh, to stand a bunch of pieces of data up, visualized very pretty with a lot of colors and charts for outcomes unknown. So I think that's, you know, that for us was, it needed to be a true, we need to look at it as a true OS, a system that, you know, I can hire somebody to help me with, or I can do it myself, or we can have power users that can create applications on the platform to do interesting things or, you know, identify whiz bang algorithms that I can overlay and run simulations and all of those types of things needed to be possible. And it's, uh, they're few and far between in the market as it stands. Awesome. You mentioned the specifications layer or step to this, right? So when you and I met a couple of weeks ago, you talked about your utopian state. You basically said, I'm putting this utopian state out, like who can meet these requirements, right? Can you talk a little bit more about what that process looked like? Yeah, sure. So my background, as mentioned, was construction. So I have a good lens on how projects are designed and procured and how, as mentioned, the existing supply chain is disincentivized to work together to stand up these various technologies. So the first thing we needed to do was change the way that we designed and procured systems and technologies in the built environment, not only to make this economical, but just to make it possible. Because before it was, it was near impossible in the constructs that existed. And if it was possible, it was just so painful that nobody wanted to do it. So we then, you know, when we started looking at the, the deployment methodology, the procurement methodology, methodology and the execution methodology, you know, we started in parallel, essentially building these sets of requirements. And to your point, I figured why, why just go with traditional ways of doing things where we say, oh, let's use the building automation system and integrate lighting and a couple of other things. And there you go. That's your, that's your smart building platform where, as Eddie said earlier, in other industries, they've taken things so much further. And we've just sat back and watched every, literally every industry blow by us from a technological advancement perspective. And we've done nothing, right? We've just kept building buildings the same way we always have, kept retrofitting, kept operating the same way because it's worked and everyone's made money and has been, and has done pretty well with it. But, but we thought, you know, there's, there's an opportunity here to really change the game. So we created a set of requirements, a 60, 70 some odd page document that I, you know, took out the whip and made Eddie and his team respond to along with a whole bunch of other folks. And, and that included basically everything that I talked about, the ability to do command and control, 
of all of these disparate systems if command and control was appropriate. Read, write, or read, depending on what made sense. On top of that, I wanted all these other IoT sensors to come in that uh, were from a whole bunch of other different manufacturers offering a number of other different solutions. And I wanted the ability to integrate, you know, enterprise and, and more human generated data into the fold at some point so that we could start looking at what that would look like, as well as work order information and kind of our whole operational enterprise and everything we did in the building into a single platform. And by the way, I want you to be able to, I want to be able to get rid of you relatively quickly if I really need to. So the principles that this needs to be built on is, you know, open APIs, open licensing, open, open maintenance and serviceability, just a, just a foundation of openness. And on top of that, you need to do it for a cost that I can pay, that I can afford. Like this, just because I paint this enormous picture doesn't mean you can charge us, you know, a dollar a square foot for it. That's not going to fly. You can't charge us you know, multiple dollars a square foot for implementation, that's not going to fly either. As you remember from Realcom, I put our numbers on the board, right? And I had to, I told Eddie I was going to do it. And he's like, oh man. And I was like, look, we have to, we have to put this out there. Like this, the, the industry needs to know what these things cost and what they should cost. And so, you know, to integrate a building at 16 cents to 25 cents a square foot up front, unless you've got a whole bunch of other crazy old stuff you're dealing with, in which case that plays to another five to seven and a half cents a square foot for uplifts. And then ongoing, you're looking at four to eight cents a square foot based on your points. And if you can't make that business case work, then shame on you, right? So that's, we had to make it real. Um, we had to shoot for the moon and we had to find a partner that was willing to come along for the ride with us and understand that sorry, you're not going to get your billion dollar valuation on one building multiplied by the, 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 the dream of doing a thousand buildings in the same way. So this way you're going to generate $500 million in revenue a year off of three customers. Not going to happen, at least not with us. So that's, you're going to get a small reasonable amount fee per foot that makes the business case easy to justify. And it's up to you to scale it. Code Labs or whoever, right? So that's that's the way we put it together. Arrogant as it may sound, it seems to be it seems to be working out for us so far. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together. And they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. I want to come back to you and, and hear about the responses, but, but Eddie, what was it like to respond to this compared to other sort of RFPs? There's the good and the bad, right? The, uh, the, the good is that you have... Um, a potential client at the time who has, you know, a clear, you know, vision and view into what they're trying to do. And frankly, it was very similar to why we started the company to begin with. So it wasn't like we had to you know, do a whole lot of things to adapt to what they know Quadrille and team, you know, had envisioned, you know, to be able to do. So that part was, was great. The other part is that, you know, frankly, most, most other uh, developers just don't move as fast. So now you have to, you know, get on on a rocket ship and you have to go, okay, like you said you could do this. You've been wanting to do this. You say you're ready. 
time to really prove that you're ready and, and you, you know, you're ready to go. So you know, we're, again, we're, we're blessed that we have, you know, the, the best team on, on planet earth and, and they are, you throw anything at them and, and they take it as, you know, this is their company as much as it is an Eddie and Etrid company. So it's not, you know, it, it, just structurally at the core, like we think that, like you, building tech is one thing. If you don't have the right culture, if you don't have that right vision mentality, kind of all, all the pieces, you know, coming together, it's really, really hard to, 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 to go there. So, yeah, you know, the, the, you know, is it, is it, you know, is it easy when you get somebody that comes in and like what these guys did, they basically put us against some other people. They didn't give us first time. They didn't give us the, the project. Then they gave us one. And then we're like, okay, to us, it's, you know, it's on, it's competition. It's OS versus OS. Let's see who really has an OS. And, you know, we hit, we hit the ground running and that turned into, and I'm sure, you know, Thana can touch into that more details there because he knows them better than I do. But uh, from our perspective, it was, hey, we, we got one shot. We have to hit it out of the park and at, at an incredible speed and, and, and quality, right? That really shows these guys that this could be done uh, in the way that they really envisioned it. So that's what we did. And that, you know, has, has opened the doors to more. But again, we're fully aware of the fact that tomorrow we could be somebody else if we're not keeping up with it. And that's, a, you know, it's a fully transparent and open relationship. It is not you know, we're not, we're not friends at the end of the day, we have to like deliver or you don't deliver, you leave. But we also had to prove to a very technical group of people that they could actually remove code labs and plug somebody else in at any one point in time. And it can be a seamless, seamless process. So, you know, that part is hard. That's not, you know, you never just, you're like, like you're hiring me, but part of the requirements is that I show you how you can unplug me. Like that's actually kind of, you know, that's not, that's not what you're thinking of to, again, to, to the earlier point that was made of like, you know, value and, and, and growth and, and all these things, right? But I think, again, we, we started this to be an enabler, to simplify the space, to make it really truly plug and play, to make it a real data play. And we're happy and ready publicly and otherwise to go out there. Like when Thana talked about sharing pricing, I mean, you know, we were talking internally with, with Etrid and our team here and we're like, this is, you know, this is this is next level stuff, but you signed up with a client who wants to quite literally change the industry and, and you know, hopefully help others kind of come along with it. So that's what we signed up for. We'll, we'll stand behind it. We'll live with it. And we're frankly very excited to do it. And we're not looking to build a company on 10 buildings. We want totally. a million of them. I like I like the ability to unplug us as like the requirement for the operating system. Anyone that's like removed their OS from their machine in their life knows that that is a possibility, but that you can't do for most building software firms. So Dana, what else did you, can you talk about the other responses? So you, you put this, this is just how I'm thinking of it. You put this impossible goal up there and said, who's going to come meet this? What, what else did you get? I just want to hear about that. A lot of very expensive proposals is is what we've got. Uh, a lot of folks saying, no, 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 you want to do it this way. Trust me. Look at what we can do and and we can build you a digital twin. And I'm like, that's exactly what we described. So what is your definition of a digital twin, if not the one that we've hacked together ourselves? So there was a lot of 
you know, tip and I, and I came from the, the, you know, sales and business development. So I understand the, the idea of re-engineering the customer's vision to match the product that you've built, but that I wasn't having any of that. None of us were having any of it. Right. So we got a, we got a lot of uh, vendors in the community coming back and saying, look, you know, look at what we have. And this is, you're asking for this, but this is kind of what you really should be asking for. We got some of that. And, and some of those folks couldn't even respond to the RFP that we put out because it was just beyond their capabilities. And then we had some folks that came back and said, okay, like we're, we're going to really give this a go. And they did. And there were some good responses, but at a cost that was, you know, four or five X on the capital and this similar multiplier on the ongoing recurring to maybe have it work, I guess it's a bit of a swing to pay that much money to, to see if it's going to work. And, and yeah, so that was really the, 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 the kind of the two flavors of responses we got. We got either, no, this isn't what you want, re-engineer to, to align with the product that we want to sell you, or we can't do it, or I think we can do it and it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And, you know, I, I'll, I'll save the names of the other vendors and I'll save their costs for over beer conversations with friends. But what I will say is that, you know, is that these gentlemen on the phone or the, the gentleman on the phone, Eddie and, and his team managed to manage to show up at a cost that I budgeted for, which was scary because when you say you're going to deliver something for the price range that I said that I just mentioned that, you know, 16 to 25 cents a foot or four to eight cents a foot on an ongoing, and it's going to do all of this stuff, I would have looked like a goofball if, if I didn't find, if these guys didn't show up and, 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 and managed to deliver for us. So, so yeah, so those were, that's what we got from the market. Let's talk about delivery. So first building you guys did this on, can you talk about like the process? Is it network infrastructure? And then if I'm hearing you right, IOT sensors and then building OS, is that kind of the roadmap? Yeah, so I'll give you guys a bit of a, I'll let Eddie talk to this as well from a deployment methodology perspective, but in a retrofit environment, we had a couple different projects going on in parallel. We had a, had a retrofit building that we stood up and, and then obviously a couple of net new construction buildings, one here in Canada at the Vancouver post office, which is Amazon's head office. That's a million and a half square feet. And another with our partners at stream in river South. Austin, Texas, which is about 400,000, give or take square feet of office space more now that we're changing some of the above ground parking levels into office, but that's neither here nor there. So we had that, those, those new projects, as well as the retrofit projects to speak to the retrofit projects. It's exactly that roadmap connectivity infrastructure at the foundation and is the core of, of what we do without that. There's not much you can do on top of it. IoT in parallel with systems being opened up and exposing that data over these over the infrastructure, whether wired or wireless that we've deployed. And then on top of that, in this case, the code operating system platform that we put into place. Construction's a little bit different uh, just because of the deployment methodology, the fact that you're turning things on net new, there's a ton of vendor coordination that needs to happen. The, the actual nuts and bolts of it is still pretty similar, but just the, the way that you deploy because it's a brand new building, the way that you interact with the vendors because there's nothing existing, you've got a blank slate uh, of which to make sure the data is appropriately structured, to make sure that the devices, the nomenclature and the metadata structures are appropriate, that we've got everything mapped out really, really well and, and out of the gate 
is, is less of a lift from code side and more of that's transferred back to the vendors as part of their delivery requirements for code so that they can consume it easily. But at the end of the day, it's pretty similar. Eddie, I don't know if you wanted to add on any of that. I mean, I think it's, it's pretty, pretty well summed up. And our, our view is always that if, if you get whatever company you're going to use, Code Labs or whoever, uh, involved sooner versus later, I think it helps just layer the foundation of like, hey, like if these expectations are met, which a lot of times what, what we run into is is they, they get a bit overcomplicated at times because it's, it's almost like a hard concept to imagine everything coming together and being able to communicate what do you mean you just hand off an API to my tenant app and then I can just pull whatever data you want? Like it just, it was, it's just frankly just been a, a crazy complicated process. And like I said earlier, the way we've attacked that is by bringing people that have been building software at scale before, you know, uh, before we started Code Labs to just allow for these things to be simple. We're not, we don't want to be in the business of being in a building for, you know, two years every time we need to deploy. So we want to go fast and we want to rock and roll and we're not, in the business of, you know, putting OS and trademark in it and, you know, then thinking that's real uh, or filing some patent on some other thing and make like, that's not the game we're in. We're, we're in this because we think this should be an open space that helps, you know, deliver a better experience and a better world, quite frankly, because we know the impact of, of real estate and, and just our planet and everything else that's happening. So that's our approach. That's what we do. And the last thing I'll say is that, you know, we are a lot of, you see a lot of companies that come out and raise a ton of money and then they're able to go and you know, make some, you know, run some pilots and do some cool things for some interesting prices before your price, you know, before prices then kind of, you know, skyrocket. We we're not, you haven't seen code labs in the news about raising anything. That's not where this is a self-sufficient motor here that just goes and delivers. Fascinating. All right. So you guys have said a couple of things about this that, kind of strike me as surprising. So you're talking about, op- I, I think Thano, when you and I talked, you said operators are loving it. And then this time, this time you've said like the ease of use, both of you have said ease of use many, many times. And those two things are not typically common, right? So it's difficult to get a building operator to use new software, right? That, I think that's just a neutral statement that building operator, if I think about it, or facility manager, they're used to a building management system, however hard it is to use, and it's like their thing, right? And you know, you're gonna pry it out of their cold, dead fingers, right? So how did how did you make something? I guess, I guess Dana, let's start with you. How did you onboard, you know, building operators and facility managers into this new way of thinking about operating the building? And then we'll go to you, Eddie, on how you actually built a software that use makes it easy to use. Yeah, number one, they were part of the process, right? So, you know, when we were doing some of those early RFPs for some of the quadrille managed buildings here in Canada, we brought the operators in to look at some of the other solutions that were out there and what they thought. And and they were really impressed with a few different solutions. But again, we're sitting here with code for a reason. So they were part of the early process. They also helped define the requirements when we started to deploy, to deploy what was important to them. And the thing that I will say about code and the reason we've been successful is the time has been spent with the people that are using the platform, not with me, frankly, because I'm not the one running the building every day. I need to see a set of reports and I want to understand what things look at from a holistic perspective at a high level, but I'm not using it every day, right? So 
the the weekly, if not more frequently daily, in some cases, touch points with the operators when they say, hey, I need to see this piece of information. This one can go away. We don't really need to see that. And I let's structure it like this. And then the turnaround time and the response to that, to have that stood up for them. And then moreover, the oper- and what Eddie was referring to earlier when he said, I found out a few minutes ago, I found out a few minutes ago too, that one of our operators is going around and changing the layout of all of the lighting devices on the floor plans to exactly where they exist on the floor plan. And he's doing that himself because he wants to be able to not just get indicatively in this space or in this room, roughly where the lights are. He wants to be able to kind of pinpoint exactly where these lights are. So when they do command and control or when they have issues with with operations, they know exactly where stuff is and what they're touching on the screen is exactly represented in the physical environment. And that that's what we're able to do with the with this solution. And that's what one of the main requirements was. So, you know, how do we get them to like it and how do we get them to move away um, from what they're used to? Number one, make them involved in the process. Number two, actually present them with a solution that's going to make their lives easier than the one that they have, which I think they've realized you know, even things as simple as I can walk around with my mobile device and I can look at a platform and see every system. Some of the building automation systems beforehand had some mobile capabilities, but that didn't mean they could see lighting security. That didn't mean they could see all the IoT. That didn't mean they could see these this, this layer of analytics while they were in the field staring at a piece of equipment. I think that, you know, if you're really going to make their lives easier, it's it's not so difficult to sell. And then on top of that, if you make it so that the keen operators, which we're very lucky in that our front lines are extremely sophisticated and passionate about what they do. So they're in this elbows deep in these platforms saying, you know, moving lights around and changing the widgets that are on their dashboards because this is the way that they like to see them. And they can do that, right? And that's what's important. That's that's what drives adoption is making these solutions. You know, first of all, they were part of the selection. Second of all, it's actually solving problems and making their lives easy. And third of all, it, it's simple for them uh, to customize, to use, and to change to the, the way that they see the best way to operate their building. And that may be different depending on the folks that, that are actually running the buildings and what their specialties are. So those are, those are the key things for us. Eddie, what is it like from your perspective? And let me add real quick, making a software layer like this self-service is extremely, extremely rare. So I'd add that piece of it. But then the second piece of it is it's a true signal, so much noise in our industry, true signal to have someone like a building operator moving lights around digitally. I just want to like, from from all the work that I do, that is a pretty impressive story. So how did you guys build this? It's super simple. I just want to add one more point. Like it's a, it's an impressive story. Most people listening would be like, who cares? You can move the lights around. What I can move, you know, icons around on my desktop and rearrange them. It's not the same when you're talking about IOT, the, the bridge between physical and digital, which is the reason that traditional IT organizations in real estate have a tough time figuring this out. And unless you understand that physical and digital bridge, the fact that just because you put a sensor in the ceiling and then you turn on your computer doesn't mean that a, the sensor is working the way you need to be able to understand and commission that sensor in the physical environment. You need to commission it in the virtual environment, and then you need to connect those things. It's not something that typically people, you know, regular technologists have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. So yeah, but for your listeners, 
moving the lights around on the floor on a floor plan is a really cool story as, as benign as it may sound. <laughs> yeah. People are like, are you crazy, James? No, no, I'm not crazy. <laughs> that is a crazy thing. Oh, man. James, to, to, to answer your question from our perspective, you know, when we started building the platform, the intent was that this thing would be a self-serve platform. Otherwise, we're in the wrong place okay. and we're not. Like, this wasn't a thing of like, start building something that kind of looks like this other thing and then somebody asks for it and then we go back and restructure and rebuild. Like, it's never been the case. And again, like I keep saying this time and again, I tell people this all of the time, like what we're talking about at any one point in time, we are happy to show it quite literally to everybody on planet earth, because we think that the more of us out there, the faster these buildings get automated and the faster we're able to reach these goals that everybody is talking about reaching. And I think really genuinely wants to reach. So when we started, you know, when you think UI UX, right? Like to me, it starts with like the layer of, look, you can't build any one thing for any one space if you don't understand the space thoroughly. So understanding the space thoroughly means you understand how it operates. You understand the impact it has to a visitor, to a tenant, to somebody that lives there, depending on its use, to somebody that works there, understand the financials of it, what impacts what and how that works, what goes to CAM, what goes to the landlord, what, you know, what's con- like, there's just a lot that that's in the space that you need to understand before you start building something that you're going to call an operating system that's going to help you operate your portfolio. Like that is, like, that's a huge statement. Like we are fully aware of that, which is why, again, you didn't hear a whole lot of noise from Code Labs until 12, 14 months ago. We have a platform that is true and tried and 100% of our client base, 100%, not 99.9, 100% of our client base is available to speak to about our platform. They know happens to be on this one, but literally anybody that has ever used our platform continues to use and scale with it. So, but again, it goes back to, to step one. It's what are you trying to do and why? We didn't set out to do this thing so we could get stuck in a quadril portfolio for the rest of our lives. Like as much as we love quadril, it's great. But if we can enable their people to go do what they need to do and take this on and go do more with us. And we have channel partners that take our platform that work with a ton of other clients, take our platform and they are the servicing arm of a client's portfolio. They're able to do this self-serve on their own. And when they do have an issue, it is about that, you know, offering that experience that, you know, Thano touched on, which is, you know, we have a team that's dedicated to nothing but making sure that the people using this on you know, the front lines are heard every day. Response time, 15 minutes, not 60, not 45, not 30, 15 minutes response time. And that's a level of service that our whole team expects from, from ourselves, first and foremost, right? So that's, that's what's led to, I think, people loving the platform and Again, an operating system is should be one that you shouldn't want to, you know, just step out of, which is why they, you know, they have a hard time stepping out of the ones they're in today, to your point, right? Like as bad as it may be, I'm used to this. Mm-hmm. So now you have to like deliver by a thousand X better to get them to come onto your operating system and then keep them there means that you have to, you know, continue to push the limit there. So we're just again, we're just fortunate that I think we we when we started, we started with the right thing in mind. At least it's, it seems that way, and it's, it's proven over time. 
then we have a team that just really understands how to build software in you know 20 that's 2021 2022 now and not continue to build on the same old graphics like i can't i can have a whole conversation about graphics (laughs) yeah i'm sure i'm sure well that's fascinating that you said that from the get-go let's make this self-service let's make this able you know anybody can operate it Thano, that speaks to one of the business cases that you talked about earlier, which is leverage building operators across more square footage. You also talked to me, I think, personally about service contracts. Can you talk about how this software layer maybe makes service contracts and that process more efficient? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's no surprise that anyone who's operated a building or a portfolio of buildings of any size requires mechanics requires electricians, requires service people to come and maintain pieces of equipment uh, on a set schedule or on a time and material as needed basis when things don't work so well. We've relied on this model forever and there's been no real catalyst to, to make a change. We've got more advanced systems now in building automation that gives us some visibility into how things are operating, but a lot of it's reactive. So we feel that if we have at scale uh, a better understanding of how our pieces of equipment are operating across a portfolio, that we can change the methodology in which we engage in service. So now it's not on a schedule. It's based on what the data is telling us from those devices on how they're operating, run through uh, a machine learning or AI algorithm that has modeled its operation based on a million pumps that are exactly the same, that are all 25 horsepower, that all operate this way to identify anomalies so that we can identify when service is required before it's required. And our service contracts, our traditional maintenance every month service contracts go away and they're driven by data, which may you know, require more frequent visits or ideally the hypothesis is that the, the, the visits will be as needed, and by being as needed, will extend the life of the devices and delay the capital deployment required to replace them. So there is a significant change in which we can engage with our service providers based on this data at scale, understanding devices at scale. So not just how this one pump, how this one fan coil, how this one VAV box operates in this building, but how this manufacturer of fan coil operates across our entire estate and what that means to us. So there's lots of opportunities there from a purchasing perspective moving forward, having a better understanding and inventory of all of the devices that we have across the portfolio. And then the last bit that I'll share is at some point when you've got enough scale in a, in a region, maybe the model starts to change where you insource some of these services. You don't just have to continually outsource services to, to service providers when you've got enough scale and you have enough information to understand that, you know, if we hire one or two kind of technicians of whatever skill set you'd like to name, we can bring those folks in and we can actually save money and have them focus on our portfolio, leverage this information to either deliver service or maintenance or uh, repair type of requests because we understand the scale in which they're coming in and we understand the scale in which we have. And we've moved from, you know, operate this building next door to this building as if they were 
in different countries to operate these two buildings next to each other as if they were next to each other and share inventory and share resources and share information. So that's one of the, and you know, again, this, we, we talk about what's real and what isn't, that's not real just yet, but we do have a path towards it because of all the things that we've talked about so far. Fascinating. All right, we're running out of time a little bit. So I want to zoom in on just some, you mentioned command and control, right? A lot of people say command and control, like it's a crazy futuristic thing. And I want to demystify that a little bit. So what I've heard when you, when you guys say command and control, and when you talked about it, Thano, at Realcom, it sounds like it's functional testing of equipment, right? So the ability for, instead of commissioning agent, taking the controls contractor out and they both you know, override things through a whole sequence. You just run the whole sequence remotely from, from the operating system, right? So that's one, it sounds like optimized start, it sounds like, and scheduling that kind of thing. So standardizing that across all the building systems, but then across the portfolio as well. What, what else? Is, are those the two main use cases for command and control? Can you talk about more? Yeah, I mean, from, from, a, from an enhanced command and control, for sure, but even from its most ba- in its most basic form, you know, when we look at how we procure these systems now, we're not procuring a whole bunch of different disparate software packages. We're not because we don't need to. We do have redundancy in place from a risk mitigation perspective. You know, if anyone blew up the redundant data centers that code hosted their cloud platform in and we lost the platform, we still have enough functionality that building operators can go into the systems individually and make sure the building still runs and operates. But there's no use for us to buy multiple different graphics packages with a whole bunch of whiz-bang capabilities in, in all of these different siloed systems and pay for licensing and pay for upgrades and pay for this and pay for that if we don't need to. So at its, at its core and most basic, command and control is just that, commanding and controlling the devices that we have regardless of the system they are in a single platform, but also having the fallback capability of going locally if we need to, if we lose connectivity or if there's some sort of issue. And then to your point beyond that, those are the big use cases is being able to command and control multiple systems from a single platform in relationship to one another autonomously to realize those outcomes. So whether it's enhancing the way that we commission buildings on substantial completion or commission them every day if we want really to run these sequences and make sure that they're working the way that they're supposed to be working optimize the buildings based on data coming from the weather, based on system information, based on occupancy of how many people are there and change the startup time of a building every day to make sure we hit the set points in the lease. But maybe we start talking to the, and again, something that hasn't happened yet, but may, and we'd like to drive towards that, talking to the tenants and saying, hey, you know, we've got requirements in your lease to hit certain temperatures or to start up at this time, but why don't we look at doing it based on occupancy and see what that saves you because you're all sub-metered, everyone uh, gets their own utility bill every month. Let's see what that means if we look at some more data parameters to drive comfort in your space, but also occupancy and, and carbon reduction. So command and control is, it, you know, means some very basic things and it can mean a lot more complicated, or I shouldn't say complicated, but more sophisticated things as well. Totally. And Eddie, what do you see in across your whole client base in terms of this, this space? I think in addition to what you guys touched on already, for us, it's, you know, it, it's command and control. It goes way beyond just the building, you know, base systems that were, again, this is traditionally we've heard, you know, 
FTT and FDD and OSS and all that. And, and, and it's great and, and extremely useful tools and, and ones we also provide. But it goes beyond that now when we talk about creating these experiences where you feel like, you know, talk about the metaverse, right? Like I'm in it, but I don't even know I'm in it. Like it needs to be like this seamless experience. And that's, that's what we're driving towards. You know, we talk about, we have, you know, like River South, I'll touch on that since that was the building that, you know, one, the, the smartest building here, but there are a multitude of different buildings with, you know, Quadro, but others now as well, where command, con- command and control also could mean access. Like, you know, when I scan into the garage, I want to know, you know, I think have, have that communicate to the elevator so that there's an elevator already heading down and I'm not sitting around waiting for four minutes, you know, on the elevator so that they just the building itself is more efficient with regard to how people move. So there's, and there's a ton of other use cases like that, you know, command and control. If you have a good application where you can send people, you know, uh, you can push notification that says, are you coming to work tomorrow? And what time do you plan on being to work tomorrow or you're, or in the morning? And depending on the answer, that triggers a whole lot of things downstream, like the temperatures, like the systems on, like the, you know, making sure your parking is safe, doing a project in Atlanta that is not a quadro related project for a huge um, a corporation, their headquarters, that's a use case that gets enabled through using code OS. So I just want to make sure like, when we talk about, again, an operating system or what code OS is, you know, yes, it is the operator's tool to operate the building, but it is so much more than that. It is that data hub. It is that, you know, ability to deliver data to any one place. And if you want it to work autonomously, you have the ability to do that by literally coding in an ABI. You know, you guys talked about lighting and, and moving lighting around. You could, like that is something to me, that's like the, to really the whole code labs team. That is like the simplest thing on planet earth because so you have occupancy sensors and now you have 75 other buildings that you want to install them on and you've tied the API, like, like just go plug the occupancy sensor, open up your app and literally plop it where you need it to go. And then it starts generating and delivering data. Like as long as the hardware itself, this is why at Code Labs, we are strong believers that there are some phenomenal hardware companies, starting with the big guys, your Siemens, your JCI, everybody else, make good hardware. But the like software has just not really been their specialty. And while sure, you know, you're a big, big company, you can go on an acquisition mode and you can acquire and try and kind of patch it together. Like that's like they make great, great hardware, but their interests are not aligned with you, the owner, with regard to allowing you the openness and the scalability that we've been talking about today. And that's talked about all the time. You ask owners. You know, idea they talk about I won't open this, open that, and then you ask who they work with, and you're like, yeah, no, that really sounds like it's very open, uh, and you're going to deliver on all these things. The last thing I want to touch on, which is really really important, and I think I actually think it's the most important piece from an educational standpoint in our space, and that is that you, the owner, need to see beyond just. Well, tenants are responsible for energy. So why am I like spending a bunch of money? Like you have a fiduciary duty to your tenants to actually make sure that their spaces are efficient. By the way, if you use that data correctly, which some shall not mention their name are using, you can use that data to now pitch your building against the building across the street as look, yes, I may charge you a dollar, dollar fifty more a foot, but your overall net costs are actually going to be lower 
and you can use the space. You talk about attracting talent and all these things. So I just think there's this there's this piece of like what I as an owner of a building have you know to do versus like well you know I like you should be doing everything and anything you can to deliver the amazing experiences and efficiencies to your tenants because if used correctly you can generate more revenue and we have a real life use case that will go actually public here soon where there's a building that is generating over 20% more than what the rate that the building was underwritten at because it is a fully autonomous um, smart building with all of these amazing use cases and efficiencies in place and it's being pitched in that you know in that light Th these are the things that i don't think are talked about enough and but again to us this is how you quantify what you're delivering like don't you don't need to listen to code labs ever go talk to any one of our clients here's real case studies and here's the things that you can touch and feel so awesome that's a good place to end up i like that little sermon at the end there thanks eddie Dano, any, any last closing remarks in the same vein? Listen, I don't know if I can follow that up and articulate it as well as Eddie did. It was almost, you know, his inspirational, you know, <laughs> guy, guy at the platform addressing the masses type of type of closeout. But what I will say is that this stuff is real. Like I said, on the stage at Realcom, we know what it costs. We know what it can deliver. And now it's a matter of getting the industry's head wrapped around actually doing it with folks and vendors, uh, because it takes a village. It's not just code, it's code and, and the partners and the other systems that are integrating in the IoT and the other various platforms that deliver on unique value propositions that are required to stand up these solutions and then go do it and stop talking about it because we've been listening to the same story, you know, since I started focusing on smart buildings, I don't know, however many years ago, it's always been you know, that story that Eddie told, the elevator comes down and greets you because it knows that you're in the parking lot. I mean, we've been talking about that forever. And you know who's done it? Zero people up until very recently. So stop talking, start doing. The tools are in place. The vendors exist. The, the, the folks that understand how to bring this stuff to bear exist. So start doing it. Don't let the community make it sound more complicated than it needs to be, as Eddie was talking about earlier. This stuff's not rocket science. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, and I've managed to figure it out, which says quite a bit. So, you know, if I can do it, anybody can do it, sort of thing. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's just some simple process. It's, it's a few folks in the right seats on the bus, and you'll be able to get to the same outcomes that we've been talking about for some time, but actually deliver on them and demonstrate measurable results. Awesome. Well, thank you too for coming on the show. I learned a lot and I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day. Thank you.